This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Nero Wolf is a fictional character, a brilliant, oversized, eccentric armchair detective created in 1934 by American mystery writer Rex Stout. And what a character Stout dreamed up. Listen to how detailed the author cloaked Nero Wolf's character and what a lesson for future writers possibly listening in tonight. Wolf has expensive tastes. He lives in a comfortable and luxurious New York City brownstone on the south side of West 35th Street. The brownstone has three floors plus a large basement with living quarters, a rooftop greenhouse also with living quarters, and a small elevator used almost exclusively by Wolf. Other unique features include a time-activated window opening device that regulates the temperature in Wolf's bedroom, an alarm system that sounds a gong in Archie's room if someone approaches Wolf's bedroom door or windows, and climate-controlled plant rooms on the top floor. Now, Wolf is a well-known amateur orchid grower and has 10,000 plants in the Brownstone's greenhouse. Wolf's office becomes nearly soundproof, that is soundproof, when the doors connecting it to the front room and the hallway are closed. There's a small hole in the office wall covered by what Archie calls a, quote, trick picture of a waterfall. A person in an alcove at the end of the hallway can open a sliding panel covering the hole so as to see and hear conversations and other events in the office without being noticed. The chair behind Wolf's desk is custom-built with special springs to hold his weight, according to Archie. It's the only chair that Wolf really enjoys sitting in. Now, near the desk is a large chair upholstered in red leather, which is usually reserved for Inspector Kramer, a current or prospective client, or the person with whom Wolf and Archie want to question. And there's much more, but time doesn't permit me to continue this primer for writers. Let's hear what Sidney Greenstreet portrays and has to say as this fabulous character invented by Rex Stout. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means adventure. Hello? Hello. The young man answering the phone is Archie Goodwin. Yes, this is Nero Wolf's office. The mountain of a man in the oversized armchair staring at Archie with a beady eye is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf is in. Mr. Wolf is always in. Would he stay in until. He would. Archie, what on earth? Boss, she sounds blonde. Phooey. Don't believe I can tell over the phone, okay? Excuse me, miss, but are you blonde? Oh. Go ahead and laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. Wolf will see you. Goodbye. I did not say. No, but you will. Besides, she wasn't blonde. And I want you to see red. Oh, Archie, better think of some new ones. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> 
gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, bulkiest, smartest, and most unpredictable detective in the world. That chair-born genius, Nero Wolfe, created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. the case of the girl who cried wolf. In the old brownstone house on 35th Street, my boss, Nero Wolf, with all his 300 pounds, sits at his desk from which he runs his world. We have been patiently waiting for the lady client. Then there's a knock at the door, and I admit her. A beautiful, frightened, and red-headed girl. Mr. Wolf? Mr. Nero Wolf? Not by 160 pounds. I'm Archie Goodwin. Oh, yes. I spoke to you on the phone. I'm... I'm Mary Dunning, Mr. Goodwin. I was wondering if... He's in. He's always in. Come on. We'll try getting him to admit it. This is Mr. Wolf. Miss Mary Dunning. How do you do, Miss Dunning? Here, take this red leather chair. It's a nice match for your hair. You know, as old Dr. Tidmouse has said to me, beware of a red-headed woman. But I never could believe... Thank you, Mr. Goodwin. Your business, Miss Dunning? Do you mean what I do or or why I've come to you? Both of you, please. Well, I'm Mr. Stevens' secretary at the Tolliver Ecological Foundation. Our offices are down on East 12th Street. Uh, ecological? Fear research as to factors operating on plant and animal development and survival, Archie. Animal development, huh? Miss Dunning, the foundation has several agricultural research projects throughout the country, hasn't it? That's right, Mr. Wolfe. And Donald Stevens is executive director. Or was until... Was? He's disappeared. It's been three days now. He's not been near the office, nor his apartment. No message or... Apartment? Stevens been living alone? He's a bachelor. He's engaged to Laura Tolliver. She's a cousin of the original Tollivers. But she doesn't know where he is either. Have you come to me on Laura Tolliver's account or on behalf of the foundation? Well... Well, neither, Mr. Wolfe. I'm just worried, and and I'd heard of you as one of the finest private detectives in New York. You heard of me, Miss Dunning. We see that you're here. I still fail to understand why. But I've told you. Mr. Stevens has dropped out of sight. And there's another thing. The last time I saw him, he had a caller with him in his office. Caller? Male? Female? I don't know. We're in a converted old brownstone house, and... Well, the way the offices are laid out... I don't see all the people who come in unless they make a point of coming to my desk. Mm Mm-hmm. I see. All I know is that Mr. Stevens stepped out for a moment, looking either scared or angry, I couldn't be sure which, and asked me to see if there was a policeman at the corner. Which corner? (laughs) Archie, continue, Miss Dunning. Well, I started to go, and there were low voices arguing from the inner office. And then Mr. Stevens called me not to bother. Then what? He said I could go ahead and take my lunch hour then. So I did. And when I came back, he was gone. Leaving no message? Leaving no message. And you've neither seen or heard of him since? I've tried all over. By phone, going out myself. Miss Dunning, has Mr. Stevens been in the habit of making extended business trips? Well, once in a while to our research stations in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or up in Vermont, but not without letting me know. I have to make out his travel vouchers. Has there been any recent trouble at the foundation? Trouble? 
Financial trouble? Personal trouble? No, there's been no trouble. Miss Dunning, you're wasting my time and yours. This is a problem for the police, if there is a problem. Oh, oh no, Mr. Wolf. I, I'd have gone to the police, except, well, if there should be an innocent explanation, it didn't seem fair to the foundation to risk the unpleasant publicity. I of... said for the police. Oh, uh, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. It's your say so, but when a girl walks in here and asks. A young lady can depart by the use of the same rather trim legs that carried her here, Archie. Oh, now look, boss, just because it I look at. stunning. I can think of a dozen reasons that might take your bachelor director out of town for a few days without the formality of explaining his actions. Then you won't look into this? Despite Mr. Goodwin's frowns, no. Should Mr. Stevens not turn up tomorrow or so, I suggest you advise the police or whatever attorney acts for the foundation. There is such a person, of course. Yes. Jonas Dowd is counsel. He's also a co-trustee. Consult him, then, by all means. But you don't seem to understand. Hey, if you will excuse me, I'm overdue for an important conference with my cook. We have just received a shipment of truffles from France. Well, of course, if Mr. I... Mr. Wolf, if you ask me... Precisely I... what I've refrained from doing, Archie. Would you be good enough to escort Miss Dunning to the door? To the door, Archie. Good night, Miss Dunning. Good night. Good night. And thanks, just the same. Look, Mr. Wolf, it's your shop and you can get as surly as you please. But can you give me one excuse for that high-handed brush? One thin shred of an excuse? Miss Dunning was sitting in the this chair... The girl was lying, Archie. Lie? How can you say At that? At least we... twice. And possibly from the moment she opened that undeniably pretty mouth. Now, if you would excuse me, Archie, I have an appointment with a truffle. <laughs> surprise for me, Archie. Enough to yank you three inches out of that chair. Remember the girl who was here last night, Mary Dunning? You seem unwilling to let me forget her. Well, I took off on my own this morning to check up on that foundation setup. Good, Archie. I ventured a small bet with Fritz that you would. All right. See if your bet included this. I found Stevens down there right in his office. Missing executive director? Yes, and the missing Mr. Stevens claimed he had just been on a business trip. Delayed getting back because his car had been smacked by a hit-and-run driver in New Jersey. Now, here's the payoff. He even tried to make out that he'd been thinking of calling you in on a problem. Hit-and-run accident? No, no, something about the foundation. But I didn't waste time letting him cloud it up for us. The point is... Archie, you brought him here, of course. Stevens? No, he's still down there. We'll want to grab him before the day is out, but I had something more important to run down first. It took me three calls on the way up here, but you can take it as confirmed. We've still got a disappearance case, and this one you're not sitting out. Indeed. And who has disappeared now? Mary Dunning. Stevens is back, but Mary's gone. Not at the office, not at her rooming house, and none of her clothes are taken. How'd you get going? Put a police call out on Mary. Back to 12th Street and get Stevens out of that office and up here as fast as you can. I'll phone him. You are on the way. Hello? This Donald Stevens? Yes, this is Donald Stevens. It's Nero Wolf. I understand you've been thinking of consulting me. Well, as a matter of fact, I have, Mr. Wolf. I started to explain to Mr. Goodwin, but... Uh... Are you alone there at the office? Why, well, yes. As it happens... Be careful. I don't think your car smash up was an accident. I've just sent Mr. Goodwin to ask you to come here. 
Meanwhile, I'd suggest... Oh, excuse me, Mr. Wolf. There seems to be someone coming in now. Wait, Mr. Stevens. There hasn't been time for Archie to get there yet. Excuse me, Mr. Wolf. Don't. Hold the wire a moment. Wait, Mr. Stevens. Uh, Come on in. I haven't had a chance yet. What? No! No! And that's all Inspector Kramer has been able to make of it, Archie? Not to hear him tell it, but that's all he's got. Stephen dead and the girl still missing. Did you find anything helpful at the office? I think the murderer started to tear up some account books and project ledgers, but I must have scared him away when I rang the bell. Couldn't have been more than three or four minutes after the shooting when I got there. But you saw no one? Hmm. The murderer can cover a lot of ground in three or four minutes. You were naturally by accident, since it is mildly illegal. You had a good look at the dead man? A very good look. Not to mention his pockets. Anything particular? Well, there was a half-eaten package of lifesavers in the left-hand trouser pocket. What's particular about that? The flavor was lime. I hate lime. Foy. <laughs> Archie, I called Jonas Dowd last night. The foundation lawyer? Yes, he set up the original charter under which Donald Stevens operated with an annual fund of $90,000. Ecology has its attractions. 90,000 attractions, to be precise. It indicates a possible reason for Stevens' murder. He was in sole charge of that money. Somebody donated three thirty-eight caliber bullets to him. Hardly a token of appreciation. Perhaps not. However, the shooting followed the attempt to stage an automobile accident. Archie, I sent Saul Panzer on an errand for me. Saul, huh? He's expensive. True, he's the best man in the shadow job there is. You've got something, huh? Possibility. An angle I can't handle? Apart from your natural preference for curves, you've more than work enough here in New York. Finding Mary Dunning for a starter. Or uh, her body? Or her body, as it may be. Is that what Saul's on, picking up a line on Mary? Among other chores, Saul's is buying me some special groceries at the city market. You frown, Archie. I glower. But okay, play it cozy. You can send Saul off to Stockholm for smorgasbord for all I care. I'm still asking, what about Stevens and what about Mary? Where do we start? I'm expecting Laura Tolliver, the heiress, and the son of Jonas Dowd here within a few minutes. Jonas Dowd himself proved as difficult to pry from the office as... As you generally are from this one. Oh, good for old Jonas. Wait a minute, though. You said a son was coming. Would that be Peter Dowd? It would be. Could I trouble you to pass that second bottle of beer? It's your third. Stop auditing me, Archie. You reacted to the name of Peter Dowd. May I ask why? Kramer is ahead of you on that pitch. He's had Peter Dowd downtown already. And learned? Playboy, used to be in love with Laura Tolliver, now in line to take over Stephen's tidy 20000 a year salary as executive director. Take over, fui. Peter Dowd's no ecologist. He's got more important qualifications. His old man and Laura Tolliver are co-trustees under the Tolliver will, and the director can be anybody they name. Archie, you sound prejudiced against young Mr. Dowd. Yeah, that's what Kramer said. I'm just naturally suspicious of anybody who stood to pick up twenty grand a year, plus a whack at the ninety thousand a year in house money, just by throwing three thirty-eight caliber slugs into Stevens. Particularly after getting rid of Mary Dunning to clear the way. The police still have no leads on Miss Dunning? A for effort, Z for results. Now the way I see it was leg work now, Archie. Guess it's later. You might try Miss Dunning's landlady again for one, and try Peter Dowd's apartment. Now? Yes. 
I'd say go along and keep after the missing girl. Instead of sifting through the names in Stephen's appointment book you were asking about? It's two legs of the same animal. Names may help on the girl. Now, Archie, on your way. Come in. Mr. Wall? Yes, come in, Mr. Oliver, Mr. Dowd. Sit down. It's good of you both to come. Miss Tolliver, I'm profoundly sorry of your loss. You were to marry Mr. Stevens, as I understand it. Yes, three weeks from today. I was trying to warn poor Stevens just as the murderer came in. But he evidently knew his caller well enough to feel no alarm. The uh, police told us that, Mr. Wolfe. We've just come from Inspector Kramer's office. I know, Mr. Dowd. Did you gather the inspector meant to see you again? Why should he? How could anyone think that, well, that, that Peter could have anything to do with this, this horrible business? I see that you have no doubts about Mr. Dowd here, Mr. Oliver. Easy, Laura. Yes, Mr. Wolf, I, I gathered that Kramer was interested in me. He's got a man outside here watching us now. You're alert, Mr. Dowd, or... Or what? Or aware that Inspector Kramer may have grounds for keeping you under surveillance. Look, Mr. Wolf, I didn't come here to be put through the jumps again. First Kramer, and now you. I'm acting for the Tolliver Foundation, Mr. Dowd. I have been since your father retained me last night. Well, why jump on me, then? Young man at my age and weight, the chances of my jumping on anyone are about as likely as, uh, well, as unlikely as to expect that you are not still in love with Miss Laura Tolliver here. Mr. Wolf, we haven't admitted that, that we... Miss Tolliver, Miss Tolliver, your concern a moment ago at the possibility that this young man might be charged with Stephen's murder... Now, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. Climb back on me if you want, but let Laura alone. If you're trying to... to I'm make... no longer trying, Mr. Dowd. You both confirmed the point for me. All right. I am still in love with Laura. I think Laura's known ever since she accepted Stephen's ring that, her... well, that their engagement was a mistake. What are you going to make of that? Did Stevens know you hadn't given up on Laura? I told him twice. I even went down to the foundation just... Just when, Mr. Dowd? This morning while I was telephoned Stevens, for example? I... I... I haven't been near the foundation office for days. I, I've... Well, I, I've been out of town. Mr. Wolf, you've no right to twist and turn everything Peter says. I do love him, but I... Laura. Well, that's, that's the first time you've come right out with it since... I'm sorry, Peter. I've wanted to tell you a thousand times. But, well, you kept going away on all those trips, and I never knew whether it was for some other girl or... <clears throat> Mr. Dowd, Miss Tolliver, could this tender exchange be postponed till you two find yourselves alone? Go ahead, Mr. Wolf. Ask anything you want, as long as I know it's all right with Laura here. Brownie spoken, Mr. Dowd. May I ask about Mary? Ma What's Mary Dunning got to do with this? I'm glad you're aware of the Mary I meant. Well, well, I, I, I've met her at the foundation, of course. We've all heard she's missing. You couldn't suggest where she might be. How would Peter know? Let's return to Mr. Stevens. Can either of you explain his three days' absence from the city? Well, I've been out of town myself. Mr. Oliver? He could have been inspecting any one of the research plants. He didn't tell me, if that's what you mean. Stevens said this morning he had been wanting to consult me. You can't suggest why? Well, no, I can't. About foundation business or personal business? Three thirty-eight caliber bullets kept Mr. Stevens from making that clear, Mr. Oliver. Mr. Dowd's father is sending me over some material, but as yet, it's not in my hands. Are you familiar with the personnel at the research stations? There aren't any more than four or five project managers. Halsey in Vermont, Schwartz in Pennsylvania. Excuse me. 
Nero Wolf? Archie. Yes, Archie. You can take it back about Mary Dunning. If she's a liar, she's just gone to a lot of trouble to make it look good. Dead? No, but knocked out with chloroform and stuffed in a closet in a man's apartment. And uh, guess whose apartment? Spare me your charades, Archie. Peter Dowds. That's where I'm calling from. Is he still with you? As it happens, yes. You better hang on to him. There's been another development. Inspector Kramer's got hold of a man named Schwartz. The Pennsylvania project manager. Right. Schwartz was at the foundation office this morning, and he says Peter Dowd was going in as he came out. When? Within minutes of your call to Stevens. Kramer's on his way to your place now to pick up young Dowd. Any uh, instructions? I'd like more company. Well, the ball game is all wrapped up, isn't it? I'd still like more company. Right. Mary and Schwartz? If you can get them here. And Archie. Yes? Get them here. I'll have that fifth bottle of beer, Archie. Seventh and quarter for the night. And when do you get around to calling in Mary and our friend Schwartz? In a moment, Archie, in a moment. After all that scramble to get him here. I've been studying these project reports that Jonas Dowd sent over. Fascinating field ecology. I know. The factors playing in the development and survival of living organisms. Too bad poor Stevens didn't figure on a factor named Peter Dowd. Archie, I'm ready for Mr. Swartz now. No, Mary? I'll risk you in the next room with Miss Dunning for the time being. Okay. One Schwartz coming up. Oh, come in, Mr. Schwartz. Mr. Wolf? How do you do, Mr. Swartz? My apologies for this long wait you've had. And I'll try to make our business brief. Yes, sir. Mr. Schwartz, you managed the Tolliver Agricultural Research Station in Pennsylvania for some time. Two years. I am not sure I didn't once enjoy a shipment of mushrooms that came from your place. You've experimented with Maya Arenaria. Maya Arenaria? Yes, of course. Yes, we've done some work with mushrooms. They were excellent. Uh, by the way, I understand... You saw Mr. Stevens just before he was shot down. If I'd stayed ten minutes longer, he might still be alive. May I ask the purpose of your call? I was delivering the monthly reports. No special trouble you came to discuss? No, sir. You met Peter Dowd, coming in at the foundation as you were going out. How did he look? In a hurry. How so? He just pushed past with his face turned away. You sure it was he? Yes, I had seen him at the foundation maybe two or three times before. Were you aware that Mr. Stevens and Mr. Dowd were both apparently in love with the same young lady? I'm a research worker, Mr. Wolfe. I wouldn't know about Mr. Stevens' personal affairs. Just an hour ago, before Inspector Kramer took him from here, young Dowd admitted that he'd been there today. I didn't think I could be mistaken. But he said only because Stevens had phoned him to come. Were you there when that call was made? No, there was no call to Dowd while I was there. Excuse me, Mr. Swartz. Yes, Nero Wolf speaking. This is Saul Panzer. Yes, Saul, you're still... Yeah, uh... still down here at the city market. Looks as if you were right. Indeed? One of their trucks just pulled in with a load of full crates. Top quality produce. I'll try not to wince when you send in the expense sheets. Any other confirmation? Internal revenue records show no taxes paid on income by the Tolliver Foundation. Thank you, Saul. Phone any information as you get it. You'll forgive me again, Mr. Swartz. Archie. Yes, boss? Would you ask Miss Dunning to step in now? Coming up. Come in now, Miss Dunning. Good evening, Miss Dunning. You've quite recovered from the chloroform? Mr. Goodwin's been helping me. 
been rubbing my forehead, and I'm beginning Tell me to... any further details. Miss Dunnings, would you mind telling me again how it was you came to find yourself in Mr. Dowd's apartment? Well, it was a phone call that got me to go over. It was a man whispering. He didn't give his name, but he said if I came to that address, apartment 4C, I could learn something about Mr. Stevens. You went to apartment 4C, and then? That's really all I know. Just after the door opened, before I could see him, his coat was thrown over my head, and then he must have given me the chloroform. It was Peter Dowd, of course. Dowd? Who else could it have been? It could have been Mr. Swartz here. Mr. Wolf, you're joking. Am I, Swartz? Joking or drunk? Why should I... Uh... For the ancient reason, Swartz. Money. For the racket you had and wanted to keep. Racket? Mr. Schwartz was in... Schwartz is no more of an ecologist than Mr. Goodwin here. A moment ago, he accepted Myra Arenaria as a mushroom. It happens to be a common clam, common on nearly any beach, rare in inland Pennsylvania. And Stevens knew I didn't go in for all that Latin stuff. I could understand that you might be useful without it, Schwartz. But to get away from your station operations, you faked the scientific knowledge you never had. All right. Suppose I am more of a farmer than a fancy scientist. Our job at the research station is to raise vegetable crops, isn't it? As you worked at Swartz, of course. You turned an agricultural research project into a commercial farm. All expenses met from tax-free funds and not a cent of return shown for the produce sold. So that's why Saul Panzer drew the rutabagus run. Stephen had the innocence of a specialist interested in his own field only. But even Stevens finally began to get on to those doctored reports of your sports. And when was it the Internal Revenue men began asking questions? Look, Goodwin, is this fat guy out of his mind? You had to get rid of Stevens after the last inspection trip. Were you even counting on taking over his job after Peter Dowd was put away for Stevens' murder? Merely if you'll just explain to this lunatic. Watch it, Archie, watch it. I've got his gun. Droidly done, Archie. Now, wait a minute. This is a 32, and it was a 38 that did the murder. Mr. Wolf, that's my bag. You can't... Take this pistol from it. I have, my dear. This extraordinary effort you put me to. I'm actually leaving my chair to secure this weapon. We'll add that to the score against you. Mr. Wolf, if you aren't too Tucker to answer, that gun from Mary's bag. It's a 38. It may be the one used on Stevens. But Mary couldn't. She didn't. Ballistics tells us that this is the weapon. Then Swartz must have passed it to her for safekeeping. Till it could be planted in young Dowd's apartment or car or whatever. I didn't have anything to do with it. Miss Dunning, you had to do it more than you know. Do you realize that if Mr. Goodwin hadn't found you at the Dowd apartment when he did, that you might not be alive at this moment? You were the one person who knew Swartz's crime. Mary, don't listen to him. She's listening, Swartz. Miss Dunning, you thought the chloroform scheme was directed solely against Peter Dowd. And so you let Swartz talk you into it. Mr. Goodwin tells me the door of that closet was sealed with scotch tape. I didn't know that. Schwartz actually tried... Your chloroform sleep was meant to turn into a permanent one, Miss Dunning. And I was trying to cover for him. All right, here it is. Schwartz planned it all. He did try the hit and run, and he did shoot Stephen. He's a liar. Mary, you've been juggling those books since... Say the details for Inspector Kramer, Schwartz. There's guilt enough to be divided between you and guilt enough to burn you both. All right. 
right. You're being noble and not rubbing it in. Don't I merit a full explanation? Archie, I am concentrating on truffles. Do we dig out a bird or shall we have them in an omelet again? Mr. Wolf, look, I've got a white flag up and I'm asking. All right, Mary and Schwartz wanted Stevens out of the way. And all right, they tried to hang it on Peter Dowd. But why'd Mary come here and try to get you into it in the first place? As far as she knew that night, Archie, Stevens wasn't to get back to New York alive. Swartz's hit-and-run ambush in New Jersey was supposed to take care of Stevens on his way back from Pennsylvania. By luck, Stevens survived the accident, and Swartz had to follow him here to finish him off. Yes, but I still don't see why... Mary came here to establish her innocence by pretending to seek her help. Oh. And she thought to keep suspicion from Swartz by creating the imaginary figure of a threatening caller at the office several days before she knew Stevens meant to consult me about Swartz, and she could guess Jonas Dowd would call me in eventually. Well, Stevens said he wanted to consult you that morning when I... That morning when you couldn't hear Stevens out because you were seeing him as Mary Dunning wanted us to see him. Oh, a trick operated with two vanishing acts to explain. Stevens's and Mary's. There you have it, Archie. And both fake. A straight business trip branded a run-out or a snatch only by Mary's account, and then the chloroform act at Dowd's apartment. You have it in full. Mm-hmm. Except how you knew she was lying to start with. Point one, the girl offered no fee, no prospect of a fee. Mm-hmm. Stay at that. Could anyone claim knowledge of my reputation, Archie, and still seriously expect that I would take an arduous labor for the love of it? <laughs> oh, mm. I'm ashamed of myself. Point two, she told us of a caller coming to see Stevens. Of Stevens asking her to fetch a policeman, then changing his mind. When asked to call a policeman, what woman's curiosity would be satisfied by being told not to bother? <laughs> How utterly brilliant you are. Hmm, yes. Archie, a bottle of beer. All right. And now back to a serious problem, you know. I think I see a compromise on these troubles. Between bird and omelet? Archie, why not both? Ah. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Charles O'Neill was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin and Charlotte Lawrence, Howard McNear, Mona Keneally, Lamont Johnson, and Herb Butterfield. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Slaughtered Santa Clauses. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for Ozzy and Harriet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. 
From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. That man and the two boys walking down Rogers Road, that's Ozzie Nelson and his two sons, David and Ricky. David is 12 now, and yes, it doesn't seem possible, does it? Ricky is 8. Say, Ozzie seems rather concerned about something. I've never heard of such a thing in all my life. Me either. Me either. Just can't understand it. Never heard of a football exploding before. Yeah, but don't forget, Pop, you sat on it pretty hard. Sure scared me. What do you think it did to me? I sit down to read the paper and a football explodes under me. Glad it wasn't a basketball. I'd probably still be going up. Something <laughs> like this would be dangerous. I think we ought to write a letter to the manufacturers. At least get your money back. What did the football cost you, Ricky? Twenty-nine cents. <laughs> of course, you can't expect too much for 29 cents. Guy, there's the kind of football I'd like. Look at that one, Ricky. That's the kind they use in real football games. Just buy that one, huh, Pop? Now, wait a minute, boys. I can't tell anything about a football by looking at it through the window. Like to feel the weight of it, examine the leather, look at the stitching. See how much it costs? (laughs) Come on, Pop. Let's go in. Boy, Ricky, look at all those baseball bats. Can we have one of those, too? Uh, One season at a time, David. We're just getting a football. And don't handle things. Hey, David, look at these over here. Uh, How do you do? I'd like to buy a football for my boys. Sorry, I'm just a customer. Oh, oh, uh, pardon me. I've been trying to get hold of the salesman myself. He seems to be pretty busy. Yeah, I'm sorry to be staring so, but you look awfully familiar. I was just thinking the same thing about you. I remember now. Rutgers, class of 32. Of course. You're uh, uh, Bruce Manchester. Just a minute now. Don't tell me. I've got it. Nelson. Right. Of course. Nelson. Schnozzy Nelson. (laughs) No, no, Ozzy. Oh, of course. Ozzy Nelson. (laughs) Well, let me look at you. (laughs) My golly, you haven't changed a bit. Put on a little weight, maybe. Oh, this is a pretty heavy suit I'm wearing. <laughs> Are you living here now, Bruce? No, no. I just came in town for a few days. Going to do a little hunting. Oh, that's right. You're quite the boy on the rifle team, aren't you? Well, I wasn't the best. You weren't so bad yourself on the, uh... uh the football see. team. Oh, uh, yes, yes. But there was something else. You always carried something with you. Uh, I know, the ukulele. Oh, well, I wasn't the best. Uh, uh, what have you been doing, Bruce? Oh, I was flying transports in China for a few years. That got pretty tiresome. Yes, it does get on a guy's nerves. Then I spent a little time in Arabia and South America for an oil company. Then I went through the Congo with a zoological expedition. What have you been doing? Well, uh, uh, every Wednesday night I go bowling. (laughs) I'm married. In fact, those are my two boys over there by the counter. Oh, sure. Say, the little fellow looks a lot like you, Oz. Yeah. Uh, well, you can't see him too well. Uh, Ricky, stop pressing your face against that tennis racket. <laughs> Who did you marry, Ozzy? Oh, the girl I used to go with. You remember? Oh, sure. That short, fat little girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Fanny. That was a name. No, no, no. That was just a nickname. No, I really didn't go with her. She was uh, just a, a good dancer. Don't you remember Harriet? Harriet? 
Of course. You married her? Yes, sir. I know you're always chasing her around with your ukulele. <laughs> How'd you ever do it? Well, she finally caught me. <laughs> How about you? Not married, are you? No, not me. I'm afraid I'm the perennial bachelor. Oh, same old Bruce. Still the old woman hater. Mm, don't hate him. Just don't see any sensible reason for having him around. Can we have this one, Pop? He's the kind of love, boy. Genuine pigskin. Well, we'll see you in a minute, fellas. Uh, this is David and this is Ricky, Bruce. This is Mr. Manchester, an old school friend of your dad's. Hello, fellas. Hello, oh, hi. Well, we'll have to get together real soon then, Bruce. I'm staying down at the Elks Club. Why don't you give me a call? Do you do much hunting? Mm, no, Bruce. I'm not much with a gun. You got your chicken once, Pop. <laughs> I didn't shoot him, David. I ran over him with the car. Well, I'll give you a ring, Bruce, and maybe we can do something. Sure thing. Nice seeing you again, Ozzy. around the living room, I'll stick a hat pin in it. Oh, it was really my fault. I'll stick a hat pin in you. <laughs> Come on, Rick, let's go outside. Careful the windows, boys. Harriet, you'll never guess who we bumped into at the sports shop. Bruce Manchester. Bruce Manchester? Yeah, you remember Bruce from school. We went on double dates with him all the time. We used to go up and park at Inspiration Point. I've never been to Inspiration Point. <laughs> Oh, that's right. It was Bruce and myself and Fanny, uh, Danny and Bob. <laughs> the four of us guys from astronomy class used to go up there. Was he that black-haired fellow who always used to smoke a pipe? Yeah, that's right. The, the good-looking guy, big outdoor stuff. He's going on a hunting trip, staying down at the Elks Club for a few days. Why didn't you ask him out for dinner? Bruce? Oh, I doubt if he'd want to come. He's strictly the confirmed bachelor type. He'd be bored to death having dinner here. I've invited Lucille Baxter over. I don't think he'd be exactly bored to death. Oh, I get it now. Will you tell me one thing? Why do women always have to be matchmakers? The minute you find out a friend of mine is in town, an eligible bachelor, you think of some girl you can call I up. invited Lucille over a week ago. Even before he's in town, you ask her over. <laughs> I don't be so silly. You haven't seen Bruce for years. If you do invite him over, I'm sure you'll find Lucille much more interesting than the Elks Club. Harriet, it's no use. Bruce has more sense than to get himself hooked. Mine isn't very flattering, dear. Do you feel you were hooked? Well, no, of course not, but... Well, you know what those matchmaking deals can be. With us, it was different. I proposed. Nobody tried to push me into it. You invited me over for dinner. I remember it very well. I got the invitation from your Uncle Slug, the policeman. <laughs> I never had an Uncle Slug, and he wasn't a policeman. Yeah, I guess he wasn't actually a policeman. He just used to go with him a great deal. <laughs> I can assure you, dear, nobody's trying to hook poor Brucey boy. Oh, no, I see that gleam in your eye, that matchmaking complex. Have you forgotten what Lucille looks like, dear? Men take one look at her and lose their mind. I know, but not this guy. He's strictly the bachelor type. I dare you to invite him over. <laughs> I double dare you. If you want to call and go right ahead. I'm just trying to prevent an awkward situation. Thank you, dear, but we accept the challenge. I'll go calling. Hi, Oz. Beautiful day, huh? I think so, Thorny. It's a little too windy for me. Oh, this is the kind of day I like. That wind's from the west. 
I don't care where it's from. It's too cold for me. <laughs> you don't understand, Oz. When the wind's from the west, it blows the leaves off my lawn onto your lawn. <laughs> About today. Oh, it's nothing important, really. A, a bachelor friend of mine's in town, so Harriet immediately decides to cook up some matchmaking deal with a girlfriend of hers. I just hate to see the poor guy get hooked. Oh, one of those deals, huh? Reminds me of the way Catherine hooked me. Would you care to hear about it, Oz? Mm, no, not especially. It was very clever. <laughs> she invited me over for Thanksgiving dinner and had the preacher hiding in the turkey. <laughs> Why is it that women are always trying to push people together and get them all married? Oh, there's nothing wrong with marriage. It's a great institution. I believe every man should be happily married, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> yeah, I agree, Thorny, but this is a little different. This is a fiendish, typically feminine scheme. Here is a guy, a happy bachelor, lives at the Elks Club, eats in restaurants. So Harriet's going to cook this guy a home-cooked dinner. I bet she's making those candied yams. Yeah. And a roast all spiced up. She cooks it with bay leaves and with thick brown gravy. And I'm leading this poor guy right into the trap. Oz, how could you? He could be eating at the Elks Club or the drugstore. Oh, the poor devil. Missing one of those drugstore dinners. <laughs> He's also having fruit salad. With that thick whipped cream on top? Yeah, and hot biscuits with butter and and apricot preserves. Oz, if I had a stick, I'd beat you. I deserve it, Thorny. And that's not the worst. Listen to this. This girl, Lucille, she's absolutely beautiful, Thorny. You know one of those, those redheads, you know the sultry type. And here, this poor, happy bachelor, and he's going to have this beautiful girl thrown at him all evening, and it's all my fault. Oz, you monster. <laughs> I do. Well, I'm still willing to help you, Oz, even if you are a heel. Tell you what. Yeah? I've, I've lived a bad life. Oh, no. Thorny. No, no, I've, I've been bad, Oz. I, I haven't been good. I, I've been bad. Thorny, what are you talking about? I, I deserve punishment. Spare that poor boy, Oz, and invite me. <laughs> Harriet, Harriet. I'm right here, dear. What do you want? Uh, I, I've been thinking things over. Maybe you'd better not call Bruce. Oh, I've already called him, and he's accepted. Isn't that nice? He definitely said he'd be here? Oh, yes. He seemed delighted. In fact, he's bringing out some new special hunting rifle he wants you to see. Oh, fine. Things aren't bad enough with a home-cooked dinner and Lucille. The poor guy's even bringing his own shotgun. <laughs> Hurry, this way, ladies and gentlemen, for the big contest of the evening, that super-duper colossal conflict that's been going on since the dawn of history, man versus woman. In a little city somewhere in America tonight, a titanic struggle is about to take place. 
I'm Bruce Manchester, Rutgers 32. I'm the woodsy outdoor type. I like tweed jackets, a good pipe, and the smell of a wet water spaniel. I'm a bachelor, and I hope to stay that way. Oh, driver, take me to 1847 Rogers Road. I'm Lucille Baxter. At present, I'm basking in single blessedness, but I must admit I'm looking for the right man. Harriet! Lucille, come on in, dear. Yes, folks, there you have it. What will happen when the irresistible force meets the immovable object? Will Mr. Manchester give Miss Baxter the cold shoulder? Or will lovely Lucy cook Bachelor Brucey's goosey? Yes, uh, she's a friend of Mrs. Nelson's. Oh, how exciting! I, I'm a little worried. See, it's going to be a very intimate party, just just the four of us. And this friend of mine, Bruce Manchester, is a bachelor, and I don't think a bachelor. He... Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Mr. Nelson. Well, see, the girl. <laughs> Would you do that again, please? coming over is Mrs. Nelson's friend, Lucille Baxter. And Mrs. Nelson has ideas about interesting my friend in her friend. Well, of course. After all, Mrs. Nelson is a woman. You know, several people have mentioned that. <laughs> but frankly, Emmy, I feel that it's my duty not to let my friend get hooked with, without at least a struggle. Oh, Mr. Nelson, you're so naive. What chance do you stand against a woman? You're only a man. Nothing but a man. What do you mean? It got me into the YMCA. Oh, but, but you men don't have our cunning, our trickery. Trickery? That's an idea. Trickery of all's fair in love and war. What are you going to do? Emmy Lou, just keep this in mind. I'm not quite as stupid as a lot of people think I am. Oh, I know, Mr. Nelson. I keep saying that. And you should hear some of the arguments I get into. <laughs> Bruce Manchester, Lucille. This is Lucille Baxter. How do you do? Hello, Miss Baxter. Bruce, why don't you and Lucille sit over here on the couch? Well, that's a good idea. Sit right here, Lucille. Thanks. And Bruce, uh, you sit here on, on the other side of me. I understand you're quite a sportsman, Mr. Manchester. Oh, well, Bruce I, uh... is quite a sportsman. Hunting, fishing. Of course, we married men don't get to do things like that. You know how marriage is. It ties you down. Uh, Lucille, don't you do a little hunting? Just a little. I'm not very good at it. Nobody's ever taken the trouble to teach me. Well, Miss Baxter, uh, I... Hey, Bruce. Uh... <laughs> yes? Uh, 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 shot any good animals lately? <laughs> Not lately. The hunting season just opened. I imagine it's a lot of bother teaching a woman how to hunt. Although I'd love to learn. <laughs> I'd be only too glad well, say, to Bruce, show you. Uh, Bruce, uh, remember Jim Marshall? Uh, Jim Marshall... Oh, sure, Oz. Uh, as I said, Miss Baxter, if you are a great you guy, really a great guy. Ozzie, stop interrupting. Oh, was I interrupting? I'm sorry. Uh, what were you saying about Jim Marshall, Bruce? Well, I was just, uh, I was just saying that, 
I wasn't saying anything about Jim Marshall. Jim Marshall? Oh, a great guy. He's married now, all settled down. Children, a wife, kids, all tied down. Dear, dinner's nearly ready. Don't you want to go upstairs and get your coat and tie on? Oh, Harriet, stop nagging. dress like this at home. That's the way it goes, Bruce. When you're first married, you dress up. But after a while, you learn to relax. What with helping cook meals, wash dishes, clean house, and look after the children, you get your good clothes pretty messed up. Uh, those hunting trips of yours, they must be pretty exciting, Bruce. Oh, oh barely they... so, Harriet. I don't imagine you'd like a woman alone on a hunting trip. Oh, no. They probably not. just Get in the way. Oh, certainly. Oh, no. No, as a matter of fact, most of the fellows are married. They bring well, no. their wives along. The women do the cooking. Well, it's no. very nice. I know, but poor little old me would only get in the way. Uh, speaking of the old gang, Bruce, remember Larry Scott? Poor Larry. Something happened to him? He's up there now, Bruce. Larry died. Uh, no, he and his wife are living above a garage. <laughs> Places are so hard to find. There's a big housing shortage. Couples are living in tents and trailers. You mean you actually don't mind having a wife? Oh, towns, not at all. In fact, it gets pretty lonesome for me. I'm the only bachelor in the crowd. Oh, so. poor little you. Yeah, a lot of young married People <laughs> living in piano crates or boxcars, a big housing shortage. Oh, dear, I smell something burning. I think it's my roast. Pardon me. Home-cooked meals, the joys of marriage. Home-burned meals is more nearly the truth. It happens all the time. Personally, I like meat well done. It gives it a nice woodsy sort of flavor. Uh, well, we might just as well go into dinner. When you smell it burning, you know it's ready. <laughs> Everything all right, Harry? Oh, I hope so. I'm afraid the meat's going to be pretty well done. I caught it just in time. Come on in, folks. You won't have to coax me, Harriet. I haven't had a good home-cooked meal in ages. Well, don't be afraid to eat, Bruce. There's plenty of everything. What's that old quotation about eating a hearty meal? The condemned man... Never mind, dear. Would you like more of anything, anybody? How about you, Bruce? Oh, no, thanks, Harriet. I've had plenty. It was wonderful. I can't understand how the meat got burned. I'm sure somebody must have turned up the heat on the oven. Oh, Harriet, you burn the meat now and then. It happens in every marriage. Didn't even notice it myself. I guess I'm getting used to it. Oh, the meat was fine, Harriet. Oh, yes, it was, dear. A little black and crisp, but very tasty. You're burning it much better now. <laughs> Shall we go into the living room? It might be more comfortable. Oh, fine. Allow me, Lucille. So I'd better go in and close the windows. We have very noisy neighbors. A man, his wife, a married couple, always fighting and shouting at each other. Very noisy neighbors. Thornberry? Ozzy, well, we couldn't possibly have nicer neighbors. I know, Harriet, but, but sometimes they can be very noisy neighbors. I'll get it. That's probably Thorny now. How do you know? He always knows. Yeah, I know his buzz, dear. Oh, pardon me. Darn you, Thorny, you missed your cue. Well, Thorny, come in. I couldn't help it. You didn't talk loud enough. Well, thank you, Oz. Shout, come on into the living room. Hello, Thorny. This is Mr. Manchester and Miss Baxter. This is our neighbor, Mr. Thornberry. How do you do, Mr. Thornberry? Hello. A pleasure. I just stopped in to see if I could borrow Ozzy's sleeping bag. 
Sleeping bag? Going camping, Sarney? No, my wife's brother's staying with us. <laughs> He's got my room, so I'm sleeping out in the backyard. Out in the backyard? Oh, it's, it's not so bad. He's only staying for six or seven weeks. <laughs> it does get a little tough when the snow comes, though. Oh, those in-laws will visit. It happens in every marriage. Couldn't you sleep on the couch, Mr. Thornberry? Mm. Oh, yes. I, I get the couch when my father-in-law leaves. <laughs> married life for you. My sleeping bag's out in the garage, Thorny. You're welcome to it. Bless you, Oz. <laughs> Wouldn't you like something to eat before you go, Thorny? Maybe a big slice of ham or a piece of bologna? Uh, no, thanks, Harriet. I, I really have to go. I've stayed too long now. It'll mean a beating when I get home. <laughs> Good night. He was kidding, wasn't he, Harriet? Oh, of course he was. Uh, Lucille, didn't you say something about having to get home early? Well, I'm sure Bruce wouldn't mind dropping you off. Oh, no, I wouldn't mind at all. I'll get my coat. Don't be silly, I wouldn't think of it. Lucille lives way on the other side of town, the, the southern part. Harriet and I can drive her home. I like to drive anyway. I like to drive, too. I love to drive. Oh, Bruce, always the gentleman. I am not a gentleman. I mean, uh... <laughs> Don't be silly, Bruce. Harriet and I are only too happy to take her home. I'll get my coat. I wish Ozzie wouldn't, Harriet. I can easily take the bus. I don't know why I can't drive you home. Okay, already. Harriet, if you'll... Hey. Well, that's funny. Harriet, did you see the car keys? Well, no, dear. Don't you have them? Well, I left them right here on the table, but they're gone. Oh, that's a pity. Well, I guess you'll just have to let me take you home, Lucille. If you're sure it won't be too much trouble, Boosie. No trouble at all. <laughs> well, I hate to rush off like this, but if Lucille has to go... Oh, go right ahead. Call me tomorrow, Lucille. Uh, you want me to ride out with you, Bruce? Oh, there wouldn't be room, Ozzy. I've got a lot of stuff in the back. Uh, seats and things. <laughs> Thanks for the dinner, Harriet. Ozzy. Good night, all. Good, Good night. night. Good night, Bruce. Ozzy? Yes, dear? Don't you speak to me, you wretch. What did I do? What did you do? What didn't you do? You did just about everything possible to discourage them. Well, I just wanted to make sure the guy had his eyes open. Oh, aren't you ashamed? Could you see how well they hit it off right from the start? Sure, I could see that. And why'd you go ahead with your scheme? Well, it was too late to call it off. I wanted to. Why did you insist that we take Lucille home? Well, if you hadn't lost your car keys, you'd have spoiled the whole thing. Oh, Harriet, you don't really think the car keys were lost, do you? You said they were. You mean you didn't even suspect that I had them right in my pocket? Uh-huh. <laughs> now who's the matchmaker? You could have fooled me. Well, I'm... Kind of sentimental, I guess. My mind works in strange ways. <laughs> yours not to wonder why, yours but to do and die. Yeah, it's a very good idea. What is? What you just said. I'll do the dishes and you dry. <laughs> Coming. Who in the world could be ringing the doorbell at this hour of the night? Bruce! Oh, uh, did I wake you folks up? No, 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 Bruce. That's okay. What's the matter? Is something wrong? On the contrary, everything's perfect. 
I came back for several reasons. Uh, first of all, Harriet, I want to thank you for introducing me to Lucille. There's a wonderful girl. Bruce, you ran away and got married. Uh, well, not quite. <laughs> but it's going to happen very, very soon, and I wanted you to be the first to know about it. Well, there's nothing like it, Bruce. Congratulations. I see you're both sleepy. I wanted to thank you, but, well, I wouldn't have stopped this time of the morning just for that purpose. Uh, I uh, hope you won't be sore, Oz. Uh, sore about what? Well, I guess I accidentally put them in my pocket. <laughs> Here are your car keys. Ozzy Nelson. Uh, well, good night. I've got to get back to the club. Good night, Bruce. Good night, Bruce. Say, Bruce, Bruce. Uh, oh, Ozzy. Did the door close on you? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the wind, uh, that is... Uh, I think I'll stay down at the Elks Club, too, tonight. Come in, Thorny. Hi, Oz. Uh, Harriet, I want Oh, it's all right, Thorny. You're forgiven. Sit down, Thorny. Have some breakfast? Uh, no, Oz. I, uh, I came over about your sleeping bag. Oh, well, just put it back in the garage, Thorny. Well, I was wondering if I could borrow it for a while. My brother-in-law came to stay with us today. <laughs> Tune in again next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember... America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Janet Waldo, Henry Blair, Tommy Bernard, Doreen Tuttle, and Donald Woods. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is Vern Smith speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Martin and Lewis, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.